Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Easter is coming up, and I just can't wait to have the whole family in one place. And of course, what's Easter without an awesome Easter brunch? Now, I don't know about your family, but mine is a little picky, and I really wanted to impress them with something delicious. A friend told me I should check out Total Wine & More. It was crazy. They must have every wine and beer imaginable. I told one of their friendly experts my situation, and they found me just the thing. This sparkling wine is going to be absolutely perfect for brunch, even with my picky family. I know next time I need something, I'm shopping at Total Wine and More. Welcome, everyone, to a post-Thanksgiving episode of the NBA Podcast. Hope you all had a great holiday and you're working off those turkey sweats just like I am. <laughs> Before we get started here, we want to plug a few things. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. In the bio of that Twitter account, you will find all three of our handles as well, so give us a follow. Uh, you can find us on iTunes. We'd love for you to subscribe, to download, leave some reviews. We're always welcome. And open. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store. Store clearance. Open to feedback, and we are being hosted this year on FanRag Sports, so be sure to give them a follow on Twitter at FanRag Sports, and for the NBA channel itself is at FanRagNBA. With all of that said, as always, I'm joined this week by Morton Jensen and Sarah Chalea. How's it going, guys? Hey, Brian. It's good. Uh, lamenting my inability to eat as much as I used to be able to eat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I the last year. I had three slices of pie because I was like, I'm going to not take seconds. I've got my eyes on the prize. This year I only got two and I'm so disappointed in myself. <laughs> I feel like I failed Thanksgiving. I had three pieces of pie as well and we don't even celebrate Thanksgiving. <laughs> That's good yeah. to hear more. I think you were celebrating your bulls doing horrible things to my Sixers. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. You guys really don't look good when Joel Embiid is not playing. No, I'm just glad you've had your come-to-Jesus moment and realized that Jaleel Okafor is, in fact, very bad at basketball. <laughs> it took a while. Well, I was trying to be optimistic, Brian. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I, I'm seeing what everyone else is seeing, but I'm just, I thought, let me try to get into the corner for the, of this young man and, and propel his career forwards, and hasn't happened, so... But, but here's the thing. I'm still open to the idea of trading for him 
on the low and then hopefully seeing him explode sometime in the future. That's fair. Yeah. I wouldn't I mean I wouldn't mind trading for him if if the price is right, Rayshon Rondo for example. Oh no. Oh no. Yeah. Get, no, get that bad juju away right now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so we, we talked last week about the Pelicans. We were talking about whether Drew Holiday would help them bounce back after their pretty slow start. Turns out that he did. They won four straight games. They lost uh, to Portland on Friday, but they're looking a lot better. So we just wanted to follow up there and say congrats, Pelicans fans, if you hung tough through the first couple bad weeks of the season because Anthony Davis... You know, he's had a few injury scares already, but otherwise he looks unstoppable. I think he's had three 40-plus point performances already. And Drew, clearly back, you know, we, we said uh, he wasn't going to have much rust to shake off, and he does not look rusty at all. So very happy for Pelicans fans. It's always good to have another team in the playoff mix. You know, one team that we were all, I don't want to say super low on in the preseason, but skeptical of, uh, the New York Knicks. And in the first couple weeks of the season, our skepticism was justified. But in their last six games, they are now 5-1, and one, including an overtime win over the Charlotte Hornets on Friday. I wanted to bring up a stat from Josh Eberle of Hoop Mag. You know, I, this is heading into Friday's game. But through those last five games, Kristaps Porzingis had 75.2 touches per game which was leading the team, and the Knicks were 4-1. and one. In their first nine, he had 50.3 touches, which was fourth on the team, and the Knicks were 3-6. and six. So, Morton, because half of the Knicks are just former Bulls, do you think these former Bulls slash current Knicks are starting to figure it out, or is this just a soft spot in their schedule? I mean, let's hope they're figuring it out. <laughs> I can't imagine how someone, of anyone, you know, in terms of both player and coach, does not understand until now that you need to put the ball in the hands of your best player, which is so clearly Kristaps Porzingis. With all respect to Melo, Kristaps is the guy the ball needs to go through. And ever since that changed, they've become that much more fluid. I mean, you can even see it in their play. It's just when the ball goes into a guy who's 7'3", who can watch over the defense and shoot from the outside, things open up. Backdoor cuts, movement patterns, you know, back screens. Everything just spreads itself out a little bit more. Um, and, you know, just getting the ball away from Derek is <laughs> a major positive. Uh, I'm not going to say that, it's, that it couldn't be just a soft spot in the schedule. Uh, I don't have a lot of confidence in the Knicks I was I was being polite there with that word and choosing <laughs> it very carefully um, but but here's the thing Chris Tubbs is is the guy who sets their potential he's yeah. the guy who sets the limit as in terms of how far they're gonna go and the fact that they're getting him rolling right now is a huge sign he's averaging over 20 a game as well now I yeah. think I think he's yeah so uh, right right the poor singa is what I'm saying <laughs> right yeah. the unicorn yes Yes. Yeah. Uh, to your point, he is averaging 20.7 points per game. He has the second most field goal attempts of any Nick. Uh, just behind Carmelo Anthony, he's about a sh one shot ahead of Derrick Rose per game. Uh, shooting nearly 50% from the field, 40% from three-point range, and nearly 80% from the free-throw line. 
averaging a team high 2.3 three-pointers per game. So yeah, yeah. the unicorn uh, nickname is well-deserved. And I think, you know, as you said, Mort, they need to realize it can still be, you know, Carmelo Anthony, like on Friday against the Hornets, blows up for 35 points, 14 rebounds. Like if he's hot, definitely ride him like he's still an electric scorer and can provide a lot you know he had five assists two steals in the block as well against charlotte so it's not like he's a bum we're not saying he's a scrub but porzingis is the future of that franchise so you know giving him 50 touches a game over those first nine games that's not acceptable he needs to be one of the primary focal points uh of the team and I thought, well, Melo is the second guy now, as as well he should be. Like we we spoke about this, mm-hmm. uh, I think last year, and, and I remember Sarah, you were the one who was who arg- made the argument. I, I, you think you compared it to the Team USA uh, games with Melo? You know when you saw how well he played, com- playing off of better players. Mm-hmm. He just seems to to have a different vibe to him. Now, I'm not saying Chris Tubbs is necessarily the better player as of right now, but he's the more important player. And it seems like when Carmelo is feeding off of Porzingis, he's playing that much better. So he's essentially becoming a second option. Or am I just, am I misremembering what you said? I uh, know that's that's I think that's what I said. I had forgotten that I said it until you brought it up. <laughs> but but uh, excellent start. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we've seen that. Carmelo is capable of doing that. I think it was the main point that I was trying to make. But yeah, I mean, he, it's not like he's this incurable ball hog. But he's, for most of his career, I think, felt the need to take most of the shots. And he hasn't really been wrong most of the time. So um, I still think they probably isolate with him a little too much. They could find a little better balance. Uh, his usage rate is still 29, leading the team. Um but he can still score. He was fun. When he gets rolling last night, that was really fun. But then at the same time, I mean, we all saw the the play at the end of regulation where there were at least two players open, including Chris Tops and, and Mello forced up the shot. So they can still work that out a little bit, iron that out. But no, it's it's certainly important to use both of them at a high rate, but Chris Tops needs to get the touches, and it's nice to see him getting them now. Yeah, it, it speaks to, I mean, Jeff Hornacek, you know, is a new coach. I'm sure, you know, you need a couple of games to figure out who works best together, get everyone working in your new system. So, you know, we can only hope for Knicks fans that this is a sign of progress and that those early season roadblocks were not, you know, this isn't just an anomaly, this hot streak as of late. More, you did crap on Derrick Rose as all Bulls fans are want to do, but he's actually been playing pretty well as of late. He's got about 18 points, five assists, three rebounds over his last five games, shooting over 45% from the field. And I thought, you know, he spoke the other night about how he recognizes he's never going to be back to his MVP form, Yeah, but yeah. he could still hoop is what he said. So, you know, I think that humility will serve him well. Like if he tries to take over games and be that all-star scorer and not feed the rest of his teammates that's going to be trouble for the Knicks but if he's willing to play that facilitator role while you know being a complimentary scorer behind Kristaps and Carmelo the Knicks you know they might actually have something I think it's you know we're 15 games into the season so it's 
obviously premature to start declaring anyone a playoff lock aside from a few teams. Um, but they're in the mix now, which I'm surprised by, I would say. So well, my intention wasn't to crab on Derek though. It was more a commentary of how much, how much he's lost. Yeah, that's fair. And, and I, I mean, look, I, you know, he's like averaging 16 a game mm-hmm. more or less. Yeah. But doing it on almost 15 shots. Mm-hmm. So the efficiency isn't there. He's supposed to be this guy who can get to the line a lot. And, and to be fair, he does get screwed out of a lot of calls. This has continued in New York and was a trend in Chicago. I don't know what it is, <laughs> but he, he does not get the calls that he should get, be getting. And that's obviously to his disadvantage. Right. But but it just seems like he still wants to be that guy. He still, when the ball is in the, in his hands and he sees just a slither of an open lane, he tries to take advantage of it. And I can sort of respect the attempt, but as soon as the first dribble has been taken, he loses his mind and just forgets the options around him. It 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 just happens so frequently. Uh, if the guy I really should be crabbing all over is really Mister. 31.6% from the free throw line joking Noah. Yeah. Yeah. He's not looked as advertised no. from, from a guy earning 72 million. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, we, we question the wisdom, not necessarily of the price tag, but of the length of that deal. And nothing yeah, that we've yeah. seen in the first month of the season has calmed nerves there. So, Knicks fans have plenty of reason to be optimistic. There is still, you know, maybe Joe Keem gets going a little bit, and they have even more reasons to be optimistic. Uh, but we're just happy to see the Knicks back in playoff contention because, mm-hmm. you know, they've been a tire fire for a couple of years now. So it's it's nice to see them back on their feet. Uh, you know, one team that we were all pretty high on heading into the year were the Detroit Pistons. We knew that Reggie Jackson was going to miss about a month uh, due to a, yeah, a platelet-rich plasma injection in his knee during the preseason. Uh, and then, oh, and a right thumb injury as well. But he should be back soon. In his absence, you know, the Pistons have not really... They haven't taken off like expected. They're 8-9 and nine right now. They did just beat the Clippers on Friday night in a, a pretty surprising victory there. Uh, but... You know, they're the eighth seed. They're tied with Indiana. Again, it's early. They're only two and a half games back from the number two seed. So they're they're not out of the running by any means. But, Sarah, you know, you had experience watching Mr. Reggie Jackson while he was a member of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Do you think he's going to turn this team into a legitimate threat to Cleveland, and you know, along with, like, Toronto, Atlanta, those teams? Uh, I mean, it's it's tough to say without saying that obviously, you know, the Cavs are far and away the favorite. Um, but yeah, I think I think that Detroit can be a a valid threat. Um, what's what was really nice about like this their big win last night that you mentioned against the Clippers, they're playing with a really great balance right now. Like Ish Smith is running the team really well. Uh, I think they may have outlobbed Lob City last night. (laughs) (laughs) Drummond was flying all over the place. And then they have perimeter threats. Tobias Harris is playing really well, KCP. Um, So, I mean, it's nice. They had, I think they had, all their starters were in double figures last night. Um, They have, 
Darren Hilliard, who I've been waiting for him to crack. You know, I'm a Villanova fan, so I'm waiting for him to crack the rotation. He had 19 minutes, nine points last night. Um, so the only like slight fear is like when you get somebody back who's really talented and actually your primary ball handler. Uh, a little worried that that might disrupt the balance for a little bit. I think they need to try to maintain that, but hopefully they'll, they'll come out of it uh, for the better and, and Reggie will find his way in that balance mm -hmm. um and then Ishmith hopefully can can be great off the bench for him uh and then defensively they're what third in opponents points per game sixth in defensive rating um so that's great I mean I definitely think that they they could be a challenger in the east and I think they're gonna move up um and, and stand still not even playing Bobon so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, I have to shout out Bobon always He's just waiting to unleash Boban until the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, an 82-game slow roll from Stan Van Gundy. Uh, I mean, I think I'm writing a piece about this on B-Ball Breakdown, so keep an eye out for that in a couple days uh, about a longer version of these thoughts. But, yeah, I mean, you know, short version is it's very similar to Drew Holiday. When you're getting back your starting point guard, it's not going to hurt <laughs> over the long run. I mean, I think your, your concern about disrupting chemistry is completely valid uh and i think you know the pelicans have been smart bringing drew off the bench for these first couple games even though he wasn't coming off an injury i think i would be surprised if the pistons didn't do the same thing at least at first because ish has been playing well uh you know he, he's shooting under 40 percent from the field but so it goes with his smith but <laughs> aside from that he's distributing the ball very well uh you know harris as you mentioned is just balling and morton this is when you and i cackle as usual about orlando <laughs> giving him up for salary dump um i'm, ju I'm just shaking my head instead this time <laughs> I'm, yeah yeah trying to shake things up instead yeah of cackling yeah uh yeah so i mean sarah you said it well the Cavs are still far and away the class of the east uh but you know i think detroit I would be very surprised if Detroit's not in that mix with Toronto, Atlanta, Boston, even Chicago, you know, jostling for that two, three, four seed come playoff time because you know they've got the depth. Like we didn't even mention John Luer; he's playing mm -hmm. out of his mind, which I don't think you know he kind of flew under the radar this summer as a free agent signing. So Stan Van Gundy, he's one; he's proven to be one of the rare examples or exceptions you know usually the coach slash gm role ends poorly but he's actually so far doing pretty well and i mean when you look at the team right now was it maybe a bit lucky that they got this start without reggie in a way to to you know you, you get more guys who get more shots you have let me see Four guys averaging twelve shots a game. Mm -hmm. That's that's going to go away when Reggie returns. But I like getting those guys into a flow, and they have had seventeen games to discover this. So when Reggie comes back, obviously you'll need a, a, a time of adjustment. But those guys have now gotten a lot of shots under their skin. They've gotten a lot of minutes. Now they they might be more inclined to hit at a better rate. You don't mm -hmm. know. Um, I, I mean, it it would it doesn't hurt. Is my point really? Uh, what I am nervous about, though, is who is their main guy? Mm. I, I know it's Drummond on paper, and I know offensively it's probably going to be Reggie, but you, mm. is that enough? It seems like this team just 
lacks that one star. It seems this team it has the components for for a championship championship squad. They have the the second guy. Mm-hmm. They have the supporting cast. Now they need the superstar. I feel they continuously are one piece away from really challenging Cleveland and the San Antonio Spurs and Golden State. They they just need that one guy. One guy. And I wonder if there's even a move to be made. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have Stanley Johnson waiting in the wings. He could take over the small forward position. Now, I was he even was he just uh, suspended for? Yeah, wh- a personal matter. One yeah, game, I, I think, what... violation of team oh, okay. rules was how it was phrased. So we don't know. Oh, okay. So we don't know what that was. Not necessarily something big. No, but like, where where do you guys stand on this? How how is Detroit going to? take that next leap because we we talk about them as this challenger or potential challenger Mm -hmm. to the Cavs but we need one more guy there yeah that's a really it's a fair point uh you know they are just loaded with young guys like KCP is 23 Harris is 24 Drummond's 23 Stanley Johnson's 20 so they have room for internal growth but you know, speaking for this year, I don't know on paper that there's a move unless, you know, unless you're nervous about KCP's extension and, or not yeah. extension, but restricted free agency and maybe you move him. I don't know that you're going to get that much for him since he is going to be a free agent this summer. But, you know, maybe someone wants to take a gamble and you upgrade and get a veteran. I, I don't know that you necessarily want to do that. I feel like you've got a pretty solid core as is. You Maybe you just hope for internal growth. And if a trade comes up for, you know, a trade opportunity arises, get yourself in that mix. You have plenty of attractive assets, mostly in terms of players. So, you know, I don't know if there's an easy answer this year. But in the long run, I think, the big hope is something like the Tobias Harris deal where you have you take advantage of a team's desperation and unload bad contracts on a guy who for whatever reason has fallen out of favor in his current location because you know already that deal is playing huge dividends in Detroit I was kind of hoping that Harris would you know become that player yeah I think that that is yeah again he's only 24 so it's he might yeah, yeah. you never know he looked. He looks really good, but yeah, I mean, there's still another step to be taken. They could be the 0-4 Pistons, and not That's need true. a guy. I mean, not to put them on that level yet, and and those teams are really rare, but it does happen, especially if you have a good defense. And you know, it's not like they don't have guys who can create, and they have a coach who can, mm. you know, help manufacture points without needing to ISO a, a superstar as much. But I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, that's a good point. 04 Pistons would be a good model, <laughs> at least for this year, and then we see yeah. what happens in free agency and whatnot. But they definitely KCP have... for Noel. I, I would do that. At this mm. point, I'm Nerlens is gone. He's like I'm worried that he's going to do the Greg Monroe thing and take a qualifying offer and play it out and become an unrestricted free agent. It sounds like he is completely checked out on the Sixers. So. What I would have called an asking price for him three months ago is completely different than what I expect now. Like, I think yeah. Brandon Knight, as horrible as he has been this year, I think he is too much for New Orleans at this point. 
So I like I think we would have to, the Sixers would have to package a pick with Nerlens for KCP. And I don't even know, you know, why Detroit's got Drummond. Why do they Nerlens wants to play the five? You need to find a team. Oh yeah, that's right. I keep forgetting that he doesn't want to play the four. I was just thinking because there are several ways you can win a championship. You can have that one superstar, or you can get a group of nasty ass bigs who just protect the paint mm-hmm. and make sure that everyone is forced to take at least a fifteen foot contested jump shot, right? Yeah. And and Noel and Drummond would definitely make sure that you are gonna think twice before you enter the paint. Yeah, that's true. And you could stagger them to make them a, you know, the the primary shot blocker or whatever. I, I would just love that flexibility, but you're right, I keep forgetting that Noel is very stubborn <laughs> in wanting to play the five. Yeah. This two hundred and twenty pound guy thinks he's gonna hold up yeah. at the five all season. So Damn it, Norland. Yeah. Yeah. Well we'll we'll hopefully find a more feasible trade target for Detroit in the coming weeks. Or we'll just hope for them to, you know, once Reggie comes back, we'll see how they get rolling. But I think where I think you have a good point in that his early season absence might end up being a blessing in disguise because they realize they can play basically 500 ball without him. So, you know, that's a good sign. The Pelicans sure as hell couldn't do that without Drew. So speaks to, again, what Van Gundy has built there. He really has a well-rounded complementary roster. Uh, you know, one team that we're not surprised by, Milwaukee. You know, they are off to a pretty mediocre 6-8 and eight start. I mean, the Chris Middleton injury basically set them back this year. They were, you know, they, they looked like a possible playoff contender until he got hurt. And now it's like, all right, let's just see how the Greek Freak is doing as point guard. Uh, I want to bring up one stat that I saw on Twitter last night uh, from at TP Courier. Um, Matt Moore of CBS Sports retweeted this last night and I saw it in my timeline. I was like, oh my God, this is this might not be great for Milwaukee. So entering Friday night with Jabari off the court, Giannis had a offensive rating of 123.8, which would annihilate anything any other team is doing and then a 105 defensive rating in 137 minutes. With Parker on the court, he has a 100.5 offensive rating and a 104.6 defensive rating in 318 minutes. So the defensive rating is about the same either way. Offensive rating goes up by more than 23 points per 100 possessions with Jabari off the court. So Morton... Yeah, I sent you that stat earlier, and your reaction was just, oh my god. Do you think these yeah. two can coexist long-term, given those stats? Well, in during the Milwaukee games I've seen, I've noticed that they do tend to attack from the same angles, mm-hmm. but not to the extent that I thought, oh, okay, there's this significant difference between uh, the numbers when when Jan is or sorry when Jabari's on or off so that was actually pretty surprising uh, I I, th- I think I want Jabari to take more corner threes it seems like he can hit it he sh- he's shooting 43 uh, percent from the corners so if he adopts more of a three-point nature to his game and then when Giannis is out and he's in then he can attack the rim and, and maybe get some interior buckets then that would probably be the setup but it's a difficult question, man. I have no idea. Uh, they 
they're so young, so I, I don't feel that they've been shaped yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, they we have an idea of the type of players they're going to become, mm-hmm. but I don't think that process is remotely close to being done. And and this is a, what, 13, 14 game sample? Yeah, right. Yeah, so, so it could get better, but it's still significant and it does show a, a slight concern there. But yeah, I, I would definitely put Jabari in the corner and then I would hope that Giannis improves the long ball as well because that would just open up everything. Yeah. Um, maybe that's really the answer. Just as long as they get better from deep, mm-hmm. that might actually fix the problem in itself. Yeah. Or am I just being way too optimistic there? No, I think it's a, you know, Giannis is shooting 16% from three-point range on 2.2 attempts yeah. per game this year. So that's not great obviously you you know that's at this point it's basically the last step in his development because he's otherwise putting up unheard of numbers like 22 points eight rebounds six assists two blocks and nearly two steals per game so he's really handling this point Giannis thing with aplomb and he's still putting up huge defensive numbers too which is you know he's kids 22 years old he's a seven footer and he glides like a point guard like it's he, he, like Porzingis, deserves this unicorn label as there is no one else in the NBA who could do what Giannis does. Uh, so I think, you know, if you're going to be forced to choose between the two at some point, the choice is very simple. Uh, and I think, you know, at this point, you know, Jabari Parker's averaging almost 20 points a game. So you could get a lot for him on the trade market, I would assume. He's still got a year and a half left on his rookie deal. Uh, you know, the, the ultimate concern is that in theory they're both best suited to play the four. So how you navigate that, whether you put Giannis at three, I don't think Jabari has the foot speed to the lateral foot speed, especially to guard opposing wings, like put him against Paul George and you're asking for Paul George to hang up 40 on you or Jimmy Butler as Wart can attest. So I think you have to put Giannis there defensively at least. And then, you know, Parker also... He's got that low post game, so I think you want to put him there offensively as well. That matters less. It's more of the defensive issues. So, Mort, I think you're right that it's too early to completely, you know, jump ship on this. Like, if you look at Milwaukee, the rest of Milwaukee without Chris Middleton, Tony Snell is their third leading scorer right now. Tony Snell <laughs> should never be any team's third leading scorer. Like, it, at with that in mind, it's a miracle that they are six and eight instead of like two and ten. Uh, can I just 12. add a note? Yes. Can I just... He has played 378 minutes, and he's taking four three throws. <laughs> it, and it, you, when you look down the roster of the Bucks, they are horrendous mm-hmm. at getting to the line. Yeah. You have Snell with under... And he, he's averaging 0.3 attempts per game. You have Della Vadova with a, with less than one. You have Malcolm Brockton, who plays over 20 minutes, only gets the line 1.4 times. Jason Terry, just 0.6. Then you have Greg Monroe coming off the bench, who does it decently, but then back down again. John Henson, 1.3. Toledovic, 0.7. Rashad Vaughn in nine games. I don't even think he's been to the line. He hasn't been to the line. I mean, so... There are definitely major concerns there because you're not squeezing out the extra points. And as you alluded to, Tony Snell, when he's your third leading scorer, you are in <laughs> desperate need of an injection of offense. Yeah. 
So my question comes back to to you and uh, no, actually, I'm gonna redirect that to to Sarah because we're talking about a big man here, Greg Monroe. Should Greg actually play a larger part of the Bucks' offense, even though he's not this new era guy? I don't think that's a bad idea. <laughs> like you said, they're, they're they're really hurting. For they're like 19th in offensive rating. Mm-hmm. This is not really gonna get it done. So. And bad on why, the glass too. Yeah. Yeah, so why not? I mean, you might as well shake it up. You don't have Middleton this year, like we said. It's it's kind of a lost year, but you know, there's no reason that you can't develop and try to see if you find something else that works. Because even with Middleton back, you have to imagine that they still would be struggling offensively. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's worth a shot. I I know Brian, you posed the question: Do they have any long-term keepers on the roster outside of Giannis? Um, as Morton said, I think it's it's too soon to say. You kind of want to see how this season shakes out um, and if anybody distinguishes themselves. But, yeah, I would say nobody has cemented themselves as, as untouchable so far. Um, ideally, with Giannis, who's going to live in the paint uh, and just wreak havoc, you would want to surround him with shooters. Um, but, you know, they don't have a lot of that right now. They've got Jason Terry's you know, a million years old. <laughs> so, yeah, and then Toledovich. So hang on to Toledovich maybe. But, yeah, it's it's it looks pretty rough on that roster. Steve Novak can't get on the floor. Is he hurt or is he just not playing? I haven't heard of an injury, so I'm going to assume yeah. just not playing. It seems like, okay. I mean, Jason Kidd, I'm wondering how much leash he has given how he's kind of, uh, jerked around minutes, especially at center. You know that like mm-hmm. Henson and Miles Plumley have been splitting starts. Monroe in 13 games has not started a single time, paying him close to 20 million dollars a year. I mean, Mort, as you said, he's that low post guy, so he's not necessarily. We've talked about this in past podcasts how those guys now seem to be best on that second unit, like Zebo, like Al Jefferson, like Okafor. Uh, you know back-to-the-basket bigs can just abuse <laughs> backup big men. So in theory, that's where I guess that's kid's logic. But it does strike me, I mean, he's, you know, he's not, Monroe has never been a great defensive player. He, go, dating back to his days at Georgetown, he can't really guard a pick-and-roll uh, yeah. very well at all. I mean, he's one step above Julio Okafor in that regard. So I, you know, Milwaukee wants to build itself as this defensive team. So I guess in that regard, that's probably the rationale behind not starting him and starting guys like Plumlee and Henson. You know, I think ultimately you're hoping Found Maker turns out to be the long-term answer at center, and then you find a point guard in the draft or in free agency. You shift Delhi to the bench, and then you know, with Thon, with Parker, with Giannis, with Chris Middleton. That has the potential to be something, but yeah, I think we we said it well here that this is kind of a lost season for Milwaukee. Mm. So uh, you know, and you don't want Monroe to get in in Giannis's way is the only problem. True. So yeah, it's it's a tough call. Yeah, but I will say I like having a guy like Delavadova so you can run Giannis as a as a role man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's pretty fun. Uh, but that's about the only thing I could say right now that that they've found this year that I really like. Yeah. Besides point guard Giannis. So, yeah. <laughs> right. At least we have that. So you're not a total lost cause Milwaukee. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Can we please cement Delhi as Derek Fisher 2.0? I think think our boy James Hollis has been leading that crusade for months. Yeah, hey, to be fair, I actually mentioned it before James. He got it from us. So, yeah, no, but I just, you know, here's the thing. He says he's, he's a guy who allows wing players to dribble up the court, shoot a lot, and then he just spots up nice and easy. Mm-hmm. I, I and, and then he's feisty as hell. Yeah. My God, they really needed that signing. Yeah. As well as Tiletovic. I mean, those are two hard-nosed guys. I, I feel sorry for him in sense of having that lost year because I believe Tiletovic is 30? Yeah, I think he's up 30. there. Yeah. And, and Delhi is 26, 27, so he's not a spring chicken either. Mm-hmm. Um so we, we got to hope the Bucks bounce back next year and, and because they're on long-term deals. And Middleton coming back is going to help yeah, big time. Yeah, for sure. And he's still on one of the best deals in the NBA. You know, he signed yeah. pre-cap explosion. So long-term, I think the Bucks are going to be just fine. This year, yeah. not so much. No, but no. It's okay. You, you still got Greek Freak Milwaukee fans. Uh, Sarah, I'm going to ask you about this next team because your Spurs just beat them on friday the boston celtics you know they they were hit hard by injuries early in the season al horford had a concussion that kept him out for a couple weeks jay crowder sprained an ankle i believe marcus smart missed a few games at the beginning of the year they're nine and seven so they're fifth place in the east they are only one game out of second so again super early not burying anyone that said i think most of us expected them to be Closer to eleven and five, ten and six, like a probably the top threat to Cleveland, uh, maybe next to Toronto if you were higher on them. But I think it's safe to say that this breakout season for Boston has not quite come to fruition just yet. Uh, Sarah, did you see anything in that Spurs game yesterday that caught your eye in terms of what they're still missing? <laughs> well, you guys know I'm biased, but um, I, I do feel like perhaps they're missing like that one other big. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the league has gotten away from that, but you always feel I always feel like you know you could use. It was kind of like um, Golden State when they got David Lee. I thought it was huge for them, but they were still missing something, mm-hmm. and then you know Bogut. <laughs> so. Yeah, I feel like Horford was huge, uh, but they they could still use something else. I will say that I've put most of their difficulty so far on the fact that you've only had Horford for seven games and Jay Crowder for eight games. Um, Their defense is probably not as good as as it could be, and partially because of that, um, especially missing Crowder. Like yesterday, the matchups were were too good to be true. You You had Crowder and Kawhi. Danny Green and Avery Bradley. It was just that uh, it was basketball porn. But um, yeah, no, uh, I, their defense I think should improve, but it, it wasn't great yesterday. It was competitive, but it wasn't great because uh, they had the Spurs down. Spurs have have sucked <laughs> at <laughs> afternoon games forever. They just don't get up well. Um, so they were down huge. I think it was at least fourteen, if not up seventeen. And they crawled their way back in it because, you know, I don't know if Boston knew who Davis Bertans was. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that that bit them. And then they should have known who Patty Mills is. But, yeah. So 
they they could pick that up. Uh, their their uh, three point defense. I I don't I haven't looked at. Let's see what it what is their deep defensive rating for three points. Yeah, not great. They giving up. They're nineteenth in the league as far as giving up three point attempts. Although they're eleventh in percentage, so that's not terrible. But. Yeah, I think they'll get better. I, 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 I don't know that they're the clear number two that we thought they were going to be coming into the league, though. Mm-hmm. So that's the one thing I will say. But, yeah, for the most part, I think they're fine. They just needed to get healthy. Yeah, I think that's yeah. fair. I mean, you know, they, they were a bottom five defense for a good chunk of the season, like a four weeks or so, but a good chunk of the <laughs> season. They're 19th now, so they are moving back up a little bit now that Jay and Horford are back. The one thing that's I don't know that's fixable, at least without a trade. You know, you mentioned their need for another big. They are thirtieth in defensive rebound percentage. They are dead last, and I don't think that's a coincidence because when Horford was in Atlanta, they were also toward the bottom of the league in rebound percentage. You know, Horford's averaging six point nine boards per game. Avery Bradley, who is almost a foot shorter than him, is averaging eight point oh. So, you know, he's just not that board-gobbling center. He's not a DeAndre Jordan. He's not an Andre Drummond. He's not a Dwight Howard. Whether that is going to prohibit them from beating a team like Cleveland that has two guys like Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson remains to be seen. That said, it is a big concern because your other big who's starting all 16 games, Amir Johnson, is averaging 4.3 boards per game. So they've got a nice, a good spread of rebounding, but they don't have that one guy who is going to swallow up rebounds. So again, you know, it, it goes back to what we've been saying for a while. They've been sitting on a bunch of assets. They haven't cashed them in. You know, that, net, that, that Nets pick is now depreciating. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it, it just, this team feels like, much like Detroit, they feel like they're still one piece away. I mean, Isaiah Thomas is playing out of his freaking mind. He's averaging 26 a game. He's, you know, he's looking like if he's not going to make the All Star team, he's going to be pretty close to it. Um, but you know, maybe it's just a matter of getting healthy. But it does feel like, as you said, Sarah, this is not number two with a bullet. They definitely have competition, mm-hmm. if nothing else. Uh, all right, so let's go to the. Timberwolves, who <laughs> Morton, I want to go to you yeah. for this one. I'm not going to gloat yeah. because, again, it's uh, early. We need to just preface all is. of this analysis with it's early and no one is completely buried aside from maybe the Dallas Mavericks. But <laughs> <laughs> the T-Wolves are 5-10. and 10. They beat uh, the Suns on Friday, but they got absolutely yeah. annihilated by New Orleans on Wednesday. They, yeah. unlike the Sun, uh, unlike the Celtics, have not really had many injury problems. You know, Ricky Rubio was out a little while with a sprained elbow, but Chris Dunn played well in his stead. Wiggins and Towns are both healthy, playing well. Zach Levine's playing well. What's going on with Thibodeau and the T Wolves, Smart? Well, their offense isn't too great, and they do have some issues defensively in simply allowing. Um, too many open shots because they are allowing an effective field goal percentage of 51.4, which is 24th in the league mm. and very untipsian. 
mm-hmm. I should add. Um, but yeah, I mean, they 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 just can't get their offense together. Uh, they're attempting only 23 three-pointers a night, which, I mean, you, you really can't do that when you have Zach Levine and you have Carl Anthony Towns and uh, Leanka and Chabaz. You, you have a lot of guys, Brandon Rush as well. You, you, you have the personnel to launch more threes and, and don't. And even, hell, even Andrew Wiggins is hitting the long ball at 41%. So the guys are there. It's just not being taken a lot. Uh and they they need a rebounder. They simply need a rebounder. They are 27th in the league in rebounding. Uh, very, again, untipsian, and I'm surprised that what is happening, honestly, uh, maybe they're too young. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's an initial speculation. Uh, I saw a fake rumor from Rick Butcher about him. I assume it's a fake rumor because it's from Rick. <laughs> uh that Tibbs was considering sending one of the primary youngsters away from a veteran. So, you know, like one of Wiggins, Levine, and Towns, and that's utterly ridiculous. It would have to be Levine out of those three, and even that is ridiculous, especially coming in like 15 games into the year. Yeah. But I do feel that certain moves they made in the summer is going to be problematic. Like Cold Aldrich getting the deal that he did. Mm-hmm. I'm looking back at it. it. It was fine. It's fitting for his caliber, but I would rather have the cap space uh, for next summer to help upgrade. Yeah, that's fair. They need another guy. I mean, yeah. if they want to do Levine for Nerlens, I can give them Brian Colangelo's phone number because I'm certainly down for that. Uh, I mean, I think to your point about the rebounding, you know, Towns is averaging more than nine a game. Gorgie Jiang's are averaging almost nine a game. No one else is averaging more than five a game. And that has long been the one thing with Wiggins. You know, he's not a, a great passer, and he's not a great rebounder. He's a great yeah. scorer, an elite scorer already, but he has not rounded out his game quite yet. And I think that was our hope with Thibodeau. You know, would he do that, what he did to Jimmy Butler? Would he do that with Andrew Wiggins? So far, Wiggins is scoring better than he ever has. But we still have yet to see him make progress in those other areas, especially, you know, he's averaging 0.4 steals, 0.5 blocks. Like, the kid should be a menace on defense. And, you know, again, he's only 21. Like, it's still way too early to write this guy off as any, you know, just a scorer. And even if he is just a scorer, look at Carmelo Anthony. He made a hell of a career out of a very similar profile. You know, I think... There is reason for optimism in Minnesota. I think this team will get better as the season goes on. Uh, the question becomes, you know, I think it was Adrian Wojnarowski who had that story about Rubio, and he said, like, the Wolves, it was before the season started, and he said the Wolves were rebuffing any Rubio trade discussions at the beginning of the year. Yeah. They yeah. were waiting. They said, like, it's going to be about 20 games before Chris Dunn takes over as the starting point guard. Both guys are shooting under 35% from three. Or, no, under just, over, uh, yeah, under 30, yeah, from the field, sorry, uh, which is horrible. Uh, you know, Rubio has never been super efficient as a scorer, but you need close to 40%. You, you know, he's not averaging that many shots per game, but you need to have some sort of, yeah, he can't just be 
Rajon Rondo, basically. He needs to be some scoring presence, at least some threat, or defenses are just going to collapse on Wiggins, Levine, and Towns. So I think there is a reason for hope still in Minnesota long-term. Yeah. The core has, Lots. Yeah, this core has some of the best upside in the league. Um, but I think, you know, the T-Wolves are a trendy playoff pick before the season started. As of now, it's looking like we might have crowned them a year too early. So, you know, I think they might wind up in that, like, 10th or 11th spot in the West, especially with the Lakers uh, playing as unexpectedly well as they are. Oh, that could get scary because if they get a high pick, Mm -hmm. I mean, damn. Yeah, and this draft, too. I mean, you know, it's always – we always go through these cycles with every NBA draft class where in the winter – or in like the fall leading into winter, it's oh my god, this class is so deep, it's gonna be full of all stars. And then in February, everyone's like, well, actually, there's maybe one or two guys who are kind of good. And then come May and June again, it's like, oh yeah, no, 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 it's really good, all time great class, <laughs> full of superstars. So right now we're in that, you know, the the 2017 class looks great, and a lot of the top tier guys, especially, have played very, very well. Uh, especially, you know, Josh Jackson, Markel Fultz, Lonzo Ball. So yeah, add, you know, it's the same oh, thing with Markel Fi- Fultz. Yeah, add, it's the same thing with Philly, you know, like add one or two of those yeah. guys to Philly, add one or two of those guys to Minnesota. Now you're rolling. So Minnesota fans, there's... But let, let me ask you guys the thing. Let me ask you guys the thing, though. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to make a change with Minnesota right now in terms of trade, right? Mm-hmm. And you, you had to say, okay, no Wiggins, no Levine, no Towns. Mm-hmm. What would you do? Like, what kind of player would you look to ship? Like, as Shabazz Muhammad, who has potential and, and is durable? No, I feel like... Like, where, I feel like what you kind move, of guy would you... You move, yeah. move Rubio. I think you'd find it... But what kind of value does he have? He's on a pretty cheap deal, right? Yeah, but he sucks right yeah. now. Like, I horrifically. Mean, I think... You know, the sprained elbow, maybe he's still working his way. He's not 100% yet. So you probably, if you're going to move him today, his value is lower than it would have been at the start of the season, presumably. Uh, And, you know, the fact he's still, he just is not a great three-point shooter. Teams are going to play with him like they did Rondo. That said, I think, you know, a team like Dallas that is perpetually dealing with Darren Williams, who's, you know, just get banged up every other mm-hmm. game, it feels like. And J.J. Barea is out for six weeks now. Uh, the Sixers, you know, they especially... Jared Bayless is playing well since he's come back. Sergio has been playing up and down. Simmons is coming back, but maybe Brian Colangelo has a panic trade and moves New Orleans for Rubio. Uh, I think there are offers out there, but yeah, I, I think what you need, you know, at this point... You need to stay competitive enough that guys don't check out, but I don't think it's the end of the world if you miss the playoffs this year, especially given how young all of the main guys are. Yeah, there there are some questions, though. When you look at it, like Shabazz is actually a restricted free agent at the end of the season, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you you got to like make a decision on him. You're paying Gorgie Chang next, this upcoming summer as well. 
So you're taking a small hit free agency wise, mm-hmm. and so you're kind of limited to hitting home in either a trade or the draft. But right now, it just seems like they need a point guard. Yeah. They really need a guy who can control the show, and Chris Dunn doesn't even look remotely ready. And I'm really disappointed in, in Dunn, honestly. I thought he would he would have been a hell of a lot better, even though it's only 15 games into the season. He was the most, at, at least he was the projected as the most NBA ready guy in the whole draft. Right. I mean, and he looks he looked so explosive. He is explosive, and. What three point eight points a game, thirty two percent from the field. He's looked insecure. He's he's been actually been a decent defender, but offensively speaking, it looks like he's really having trouble managing the team. Yeah, yeah. So I'm really not sure what's going on there. Especially, you know, he looked so good in summer league, and it, all of that stuff about his NBA readiness. It's like, oh yeah, there he is. He's totally ready to run yeah. a team. And you know, when I read that thing from Woj at the beginning of the season, it was like. Holy crap! They expect him to take over after twenty games. Like Rubio's yeah, yeah. usually pretty good, so it it seems like they were hoping for him to be a little bit more ready than he is. But again, it's still early, and maybe it's like this: it, they have a Jeff Teague, Dennis Schroeder kind of uh, dynamic going on, where neither guy can really get comfortable and thrive because he's splitting time with the other. So maybe they just need to make a move for the sake of making a move and hope chris dunn doesn't you know sink or swim with chris dunn and hope he doesn't sink danny schroeder he would be good there though yeah he'd be fun no you just mentioned that i just put him in a t-wolves jersey <laughs> something tells me atlanta's not gonna go for that yeah no uh definitely want to also give out we could talk about them more on our next episode but a brief shout out to the memphis grizzlies they are fourth in the West right now, despite Chandler Parsons being out for a good portion of the year, uh, either resting or limited, or now he's out again with a bone bruise in his knee. They're 10-6, and six, tied with the Houston Rockets for fourth, only three games back of the San Antonio Spurs. You know, Marc Gasol is shooting threes, and that's an actual thing. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, at The Sixers played them in double overtime the other night, and I was watching that game, and he was like just raining threes on us. I'm like, oh great, okay. Who who's that guy who's actually shooting threes? It's not Tony Allen. Oh, it's oh, it's a seven footer. Cool. Okay, so <laughs> you know, uh, he, he's playing well. Mike Conley is thriving under David Fisdale. So again, we will talk more about the Grizzlies on our next episode. But just wanted to shout them out because we haven't really mentioned them all that much this year so far. We're now going to turn to our Where Amazing Happens segment. And we've we've had some amazing stuff happen this past week, haven't we? Uh, I think, you know, the the two big ones. Kevin Love had 34 points in the first quarter against Portland on Wednesday. It's the second most points ever in a quarter. The most points ever in a first quarter. Also somewhat speaks to what a tire fire Portland has become. I, we, I think we talked about this a few weeks ago. We briefly touched on this. But, Mort, do you think Kevin Love is he's starting to really fit in there, huh? Just took him two and a half years. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I mean, look, kidding aside, he looks to be the former Kevin Love again. Yeah. Um, and we've been waiting on this. And we like no no one could really figure out why he couldn't like returning to the former glory that was himself because he was still a shooter in Minnesota. He was still a guy who could gobble up rebounds and 
suddenly he was he was just standing out there and not getting the kickouts and he was not entering the paint a whole lot like limiting himself to what eight almost an eight or nine boards a game like now it seems like it's it's become a priority for the whole organization to get him going mm-hmm. you know it's kind of like you know we gave you a contract worth what 110 million dollars lebron is getting older we have we have Kyrie who can spot up from the outside and take care of business from outside the arc. Now it's your turn. You know, go go inside, do the dirty work. Go come back out when you have a pick and pop option. You know, be the guy that we that we traded for, mm-hmm. and he is. And that first quarter was just it was sort of a coming out party in a weird sense, right? Sort of like, hey, leak, take notice. I'm actually back. Yeah, uh, and that was wonderful to see. He was actually enjoying himself. And this is this is, sounds ridiculous, but have you guys noticed how much he smiles this year compared to the last two <laughs> yeah. years? Yeah, no, I mean, it I think seems like he's actually matters. happy yeah. now. Yeah, I, I think I that's, mean, there's something to that. Yeah. So so yeah, it's it's definitely interesting, and uh, I mean, the Cavs getting better is frightening for everyone. Yeah. Really. Yeah, I mean. To your point about just him being back to the old Kevin Love, he's averaging 22 points and nearly 11 rebounds a game yeah. in, in 32 minutes, like in somewhat limited playing time. I mean, I'm getting a very 2012-13 Miami Heat vibe from the Cavs this year. Like, remember, Chris Bosh had these same struggles for the first two years next to Wade and LeBron, and then they win that first championship, and it just clicks. And all of a sudden, it's not like, you know, remember, like, there was the Like a Bosch skit? Uh, yeah. Where it's just, like, you're the third wheel, and every time something goes wrong, we're going to blame you. That's kind of what Kevin Love was these first few years in Cleveland. But now that he has the validation of a title, and especially he was the guy who guarded Curry on that, you know, attempted game-tying three-pointer in Game 7 in the series in which the Warriors blew a 3-1 lead for the first time in NBA history in the finals. Uh it's <laughs> oh man it had been a while yeah you like you like yeah, how I that that back. yeah yeah just because donald trump's our president doesn't mean i forgot about that uh yeah i mean it just seems like he's his confidence is back so it, it really yeah. feels like he's okay with if he has to take a, a back seat to lebron and Kyrie at times that's fine but more to your point it does seem like lebron is really making an effort to get love going like a lot of those three pointers against portland mm-hmm. in that first quarter were off of lebron drives to the basket goes under the hoop kicks cross court to love who's wide open for a three which again somewhat speaks to portland and what whatever <laughs> they're doing on defense uh but it is it's terrifying to see kevin love yeah. fully actualized on this team because you know again everyone was crowning the warriors before the season starts the Cavs are looking like they are not going to go down easy if they do have their rubber match in the finals. But we do also have to talk about the Warriors because they dropped 149 points on the Los Angeles Lakers on Wednesday. Oh, but before we do, you mentioned Portland. Uh-huh. And remember I shot you both a direct message on Twitter oh, yeah. last week? Yeah, yeah. Right. So is there a better big man to fix the defensive issues? in Portland than Serge Ibaka and wouldn't an Ibaka for uh, Alan Crabtree make a whole lot of sense for both sides when you really think about for for Orlando let's start there mm-hmm. they can finally move Aaron Gordon up to the four yep. 
and they would get an established young guy who can shoot, and Portland would get that pick and pop big who can also block shots and run the floor. Come on now. Yeah. Say it with me now. Crap for Ibaka. <laughs> I, I, you know, it makes sense, but I don't know if you're Rob Hennigan, can you say you basically traded Oladipo and Sabonis? It would wind up being for Crab because they traded those no, guys obviously. for Ibaka. And then, you know, I, I no. uh, yeah. So I, I think that the opportunity cost is going to be what holds that up. But otherwise, yeah, you know, you slide Fournier back to the three. You have another shooter in the starting lineup next to Alfred Payton. So it makes sense, especially because Orlando, the biggest issue right now is Aaron Gordon is out of position. And until that gets fixed, yeah, you're not – it's just bad news bears. So if you can get a guy who is productive like Crab, and who has shown flashes – it would be interesting, uh, you know. I'd be <laughs> no, but I agree. I, I agree. But it, here's the thing: I hate the fact that a GM can sort of hide behind the fact. Oh, I don't want to do that because that proves that I was wrong. Right. Well, you what? You you were wrong. <laughs> right, right. From the first time around. I mean, come on. You made a badass trade, and now you can actually help your team get along. I mean, you can you can help them along by getting a younger guy, and you can give. The, the superior option at the four minutes of that position. I mean, yeah, you, you messed up, but at least fix it. I, I, I would prefer that over a GM who just stubbornly sits on his decisions. Yeah, it, it, that's the problem. In sports, it's just so easy to watch mistakes compound. And it, there yeah. is that stubbornness with like, well, I made this trade, so I can't admit I lost already and sell 40 cents on the dollar and, you know, basically say i screwed up in acquiring abaca so i think maybe the best hope for orlando in that sense is to get rid of hennigan mid-season have mm. someone take over say samuel hinky and then <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then have him flip abaca at the deadline because otherwise you don't want to re-sign abaca if you're orlando or else you're just perpetuating this problem with aaron gordon so at that point you almost have to trade aaron gordon um yeah Still, Ibaka with the Blazers, though. Yeah, it w- that would fix a lot. I mean, it would not fix the that Evan Turner problem, so but yeah, uh, you know, it might even free him up a little bit more on the bench, so he's got more uh, free reign once Dame and CJ are off the court. But uh, we do need to we do need to briefly mention the Warriors. Uh, yeah, you know, one hundred and forty nine points. Sarah, is it time to worry about their world domination tour? Nah, I'm not going to worry. <laughs> I, I refuse to worry. Spoken like no, a true Spurs I, fan. That's right. No, I saw it go across the timeline, I think, that night. Plus, what did they have, like, 47 assists the other was Yeah, that I night? think. That's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I can't even imagine that. Um, and it was, like, on 50 field goals or something. But anyway, somebody poses the question, like, what's more likely at this point? them scoring 90 plus and a half or winning a championship and it really might be 90 plus and a half um there's at least some challengers for the championship and i would say i mean you mentioned the Cavs. we didn't i don't know why but we we didn't really pick who we thought was going to be the champion when we did our season preview um or unless we just all assumed it was the warriors so we didn't feel like we had to pick i don't know um i did so admittedly yeah But, uh, no, I was thinking that I was going to pick the Cavs simply because 
I just didn't want it to be that predictable. <laughs> so I, and, and you know, I thought maybe something might happen with the Warriors. They had all the, the drama coming out with the, the article about Draymond being kind of mm-hmm. Draymond. What else can you say? Yeah. <laughs> um, so like, well, maybe he goes crazy and something happens, but I don't know. Yeah. There's at least challengers for that. So I, I could really see them putting up 90 and a half. Yeah. They were what? They had like 81 against the Lakers, right? They, yeah. they were not far <laughs> off from doing that already. And I, you know, I think that the hope, at least early in the season, was Clay Thompson really seemed to be in a funk, and he just couldn't hit threes for the life of him. That's gone. He's, I mean, he's still only shooting thirty-five percent from three, but he's hitting uh, team high two point seven. Or no, sorry, Curry's hitting more, but the second most. <laughs> yeah, more. Sorry, just kidding. <laughs> Stephen Curry is still Stephen Curry, but the second most three pointers on the team at two point seven per game, and you know Durant, he's basically putting up his OKC numbers in golden state like you know clay had that whole crap about he's not gonna have to sacrifice and it turns out he is unless they keep scoring 149 points a night in which case they're gonna sit out for like the entire fourth quarter and some of the third but you know their depth we did talk about that being a concern and so far like outside of durant curry thompson and Draymond, you know iggy has not looked like vintage iggy uh no I think Zach Lowe had covered that in one of his recent columns about how that's, you know, that that could be a huge weakness if that super death lineup, if, if Iggy's not locking down the opposing weapon as well, or if he's not hitting threes, he's shooting 27.5% from deep this year. Suddenly the Warriors don't look so invincible. So, you know, I, I as a Sixers fan who has no dog in this fight in terms of the championship, I think it is time to worry about the Warriors. They're fourteen to two. They're you know they they look as good as we expected. That said, there are holes that we also thought might be present. So, if you are a fan of the Cavs or the Spurs or the Clippers, there is a sign of hope. Like you have a chance to knock this team off. But they fear you know the hope that they were like the twenty ten eleven Heat and they start off nine and eight and try to get their coach fired all that good stuff. Uh, that that has not come to fruition. Uh, I think, you know, aside from the actually spectacular scoring feats, I think my favorite thing that happened this week was Nick Young's game winner against the Oklahoma City Thunder. If you guys haven't seen it yet, pull it up on YouTube. It's sensational. He basically intercepts a pass intended for Lou Williams and drills a three and says after the game that he should be credited both with a steal and a three-pointer, which is just the most Nick Young quote that has ever been uttered. So we talked about him uh, a couple weeks ago and just how well he's playing under Luke Walton. I think he's dealing with a toe injury now, so he missed last night's loss against the Warriors, but just good to see Swaggy P fully actualized because he's been pretty hit or miss throughout his career, but it seems like he's really... He's gotten rolling. And the only other thing that is worth mentioning here, you know, I was thinking, like, how many triple-doubles Westbrook and Harden have already compiled this season. So I went on Basketball Reference today to see, you know, their game search goes back to 1983-84, and I wanted to see what was the record for the most triple-doubles in November. Heading into this year, only three players since... You know, in the last 30 plus years, have done it. LeBron in 2007, 2008, Jason Kidd that same year, 
and Rajan Rondo last year. Harden and Westbrook both have four this year. So, <laughs> yeah, there you go. I, you know, if you're wondering how the MVP race is going, it's still really entertaining, and there are still no shortage of candidates to choose from. What a fifth of the way through the season, so no unanimous Stephen Curry this time around. So let us now move into our my crush segment where we're going to shine a spotlight on an under the radar player. Uh, Sarah, I'm going to start with you. Who's your crush for the week? Uh, you know what else I wanted to mention real briefly kind of goes along with the triple doubles. Uh, LeBron right now is averaging more than nine assists per game. Oh yeah. Which was pointed out on NBA TV last night that that would be the most ever for a front court player. Besting 8.6 by Wilt Chamberlain and himself oh, sure. <laughs> in previous years. So, of course, it's a long season. but And that was my favorite part to watch of, of Kevin Love going off. Yeah. Was him just searching for Kevin was, and feeding him. It's so mean. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to take a page out of Morton's book for my crush this time. Uh, he did a skill last week. Oh, he did, nice. Uh, okay. Drummond's, Drummond's free throws. Uh-huh. I'm going to do David Lee's defense. Wow. Because okay. it has been surprisingly good <laughs> so far this year. Um, I mean, not just passable. It's been pretty good. I, certainly he's made mistakes, but he, he came into the camp this year in shape. He's energized. He's moving his feet well. Um, he's blocking shots occasionally. Um, but I've just been really impressed with, I mean, he's calling stuff out. He's really engaged on that end. Um he wants to you can tell that he's aware of the critiques of his game and he wants to be better and he's really putting a lot of effort into it um so i've been impressed with the way that he's picking up um guards coming off the screens he's showing you know he's moving his feet he's getting back to his guy so so far i've been really pleased with with his performance on that end and and really everywhere but you know defense was the concern so he's been good a good crush i live to inspire <laughs> <laughs> all right Mort, how about you who do you have a crush on this week well i'm actually going to use or mention a guy who i've mentioned before oh. so he this is his, his the second time he wins my crush um for the season and that's ian clark nice yeah i i am sorely disappointed that you didn't mention him brian <laughs> when we discussed uh the Warriors, oh, because yes. he's coming off the bench and he's doing beautifully, shooting almost forty six from free, only six point four points a game, but that's fine considering how many scores are on the team. He, the fact that he's becoming a spot up option is is huge huge for the bench unit. He can take over games at times and really look dynamic. Um, I suspect that he's the type of guy if he's going to another team at some point he's going to be like a 12 to 15 point guy off the bench like he has that game and it's at the same time it's dreadfully unfair that the Warriors of all teams <laughs> has that dude because they have a <laughs> copy in him in Pat McCall yeah. who's, who's going to come along as well so oh but Ian Clark though He's just so efficient. He's picking his spots and he's doing whatever he can just to, to stick in that rotation and he's doing it well. He's earning 13.4 minutes. I think that should go up. I see no reason as to why Clay or 
Steph or KD are playing more than 33 minutes right now, they should actually go down a bit. And I wouldn't have any problem making Ian Clark the official six-man actually in front of Iggy and then mm. just making Iggy a sort of a defensive-minded uh, seventh man. Mm-hmm. I think that should be the option going forward. Do you think that even for the playoffs, or is that just kind of keeping an eye on the playoffs to preserve Iggy? Well, both, because here's the thing. You don't know how Ian Clark would develop in in a larger role, mm-hmm. and if he accepts the, that responsibility, and if he becomes like a, what would that be, a fifth scorer on this team, and he can sustain that going into the playoffs, then why change it? Mm-hmm. Like, you, you would need a kick off the bench anyway. And, and then you you can play those two next to each other you, because Clark is a 6'3 shooting guard. He's undersized. He, he's strong as hell, but he's undersized. So you can have Iggy alongside him. It would be fine. Interesting. Um, yeah. I, I just like the flexibility that you when you have that one guy who turns out to be a lot better than expected mm-hmm. coming from a championship team, it just offers the, the additional depth and the fact that you can run some different things. Because if you did not have Ian Clark right now, what would you have off the bench scoring-wise? Yeah, not much. Yeah. And, and he's right now, I, I mean... Six six and a half points in thirteen minutes. That's that's a hell of a lot of points, actually, mm-hmm. when you think about it. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Yeah, so there you go, Warriors fans. As if you didn't already have enough things to be grateful for this Thanksgiving, <laughs> you also have two young guys coming off of the bench who are going to keep your championship dreams alive for the next fifteen years. Apparently, uh, I'm gonna focus on the Sixers this week for my crush because I think this guy deserves a little bit more recognition outside of Philadelphia than he's been getting. Ersan Ilyasova, it says something about the Sixers right now with Simmons and Noel Hurt that he has been the team's second best player. But let's be honest, he's been the team's second best player. He's averaging 13.2 points per game, which is second on the team behind only Joel Embiid. He is hitting a team-high 1.83s on over 40% shooting from deep. Uh, He's just providing that stretch forward presence that is sorely needed next to Embiid. You know, Dario Saric uh, started the first 10 games of the year. He's shown flashes, and he's actually shooting better from three than he is overall. Uh, but he's definitely not ready to play a full complement of starting power forward minutes yet, which was to be expected, uh, to be honest. I mean, you know, before Ben Simmons got hurt, Simmons was going to play the four to start, and Sarge was going to come off the bench anyway. So I've seen some people saying, like, well, well, the season's already lost. Why are you playing Ilyasova? I don't know how, but Ilyasova doesn't even turn 30 until May. It feels like he's been in the NBA forever, but it's, you know, it's not like they're giving minutes to a 38-year-old, like, Ilyasova could at least be, you know, I don't think he's a long-term answer for this team, but he could stick around for another year or two after the 2016-17 season. He's just providing more than even just three-point shooting. I mean, he's had two double-doubles in the Sixers' past three games, so he's actually rebounding pretty well. And he's he's just a tough physical player. I think he's setting a really good example for the bigs uh, for the young bigs, for Okafor, you know, I, there was a clip that circulated on Twitter the other night of Okafor, I think it was against the Bulls, actually. Uh, Okafor tried to set a screen on Taj Gibson and completely whiffed, and then 
uh, it led to Ursad breaking a mid-range jump shot because, oh, he had a defender right in his face. What a surprise. <laughs> so I'm hoping, 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 hoping that, you know, Okafor, uh, Noel, Rashawn Holmes, Simmons, Saric, all of those guys can learn from, you know, what uh, Ilyasova is bringing to the table. So, you know, there was, a, there was some backlash when the Sixers traded for him and traded Jeremy Grant to OKC for him. I think that decision's already proving wise because Jeremy Grant was never going to be a major impact player in this rotation, and Ilyasova has really helped get this offense. You know, it's still pretty bad, <laughs> to be frank, especially when Embiid doesn't play, but it's at least uh, a little more passable when he's on the court. And I also, just a brief shout-out to Nick Stauskas, shooting over 50% from the field and 40% from three this year. So it's good to see him actually being productive you know he had he struggled a lot last year and he's been hit or miss uh, a little bit at the early part of the year but he's really really gotten going as of late so that king's trade last year is only looking better for the sixers and for sam hinkey's legacy so i think that's going to do it for this episode of the nba podcast again hope everyone had a great thanksgiving enjoy all the football this weekend be sure to check us out on Twitter at the NBA Pod. You can find again all three of our Twitter handles in those bios. Uh, find us on iTunes and download, subscribe, leave reviews, and also check out FanRag Sports at FanRag Sports and at FanRag NBA for a bunch of great NBA content. Until next time, I'm Brian Tapork and Morton Jensen and Sarah Chalea. It's always good talking to you guys. Likewise, Brian. Yep. Take care, guys. Motivation with Amazon Music. You're still in bed? Didn't you go running? Oh, I overslept. I'll go tomorrow. I'm getting in the shower. Alexa, set an alarm for 5 a.m. tomorrow to hard rock music. (laughs) Okay, I'm up. The right song exactly when you need it. Amazon Music, the simplest way to listen to the music you love. New customers start your 30-day free trial at AmazonMusic.com. Renews automatically cancel anytime. Motorist Insurance Group and Brick Street Insurance have come together to create a better one-stop shop for agents and policyholders, encircling you with coverage at every step in life's journey. We are now in Cova Insurance. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.